0: Thank you, George. Now, you, you older, you're older folks here. You all know this line. Say it ain't so, Joe. You know where that comes from. The boy talking to shoeless Joe Jackson after his trial for throwing the World Series. Say it ain't so. He couldn't believe that his hero, his hero, would act so shamefully. You know, most of you can think of someone who at some point shocked you. They shocked you by doing something that you thought they could never be guilty of. It might be someone who's close to you, or it might be like uh, for, this, for this young boy, and this hero, some, somebody he knew from a distance. And, and what they did, it wasn't so much that it, it made you angry, it just made you, made you feel the shame you feel ashamed for him? How could you? You asked. Well, that's the question we want to ask of Peter in his moment of shame. And the text we'll be looking at uh, is John 18, verses 15 to 18 and 25 to 27. Uh, you can use your Bibles. We also got it printed here uh, in the insert. So follow along with me as I begin reading uh, 15 And 16, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And this is after, of course, the scene in which Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been taken down to, um, to the high priest, or to, in this case, he's taken to uh, Annas, the, uh, the, the father-in-law uh, of the high priest. And John is that other disciple here that is mentioning here. And he's setting the scene here for Peter coming into the courtyard of, this, of the high priest's house. And John apparently has gone into the house itself. And so Peter is alone. And now we come to his first denial in verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now all four gospel writers record this this shameful episode of Peter, but John treats Peter the gentlest. In mean, the other gospels they show how Peter gets increasingly hostile and, and, and perturbed, and at times he at one time he swears and he calls down curses upon himself. Uh, he is so upset and bothered by these, these questions. For John. All it records Peter saying is, I am not. And there's no reference to any emotion. Yet even then, Peter's disgrace cannot be hidden. Now, John writes, our, our New Testament is written in the, uh, in the Greek. And the Greek language allows for words in a sentence. You can rearrange them in a way that, you, that we, we don't do it in English. And it allows the writer or the speaker to emphasize words by by the word order. The word that you really want to emphasize. Well, you can just put that right there at the beginning. So we would not write uh, the way that Peter actually uh, replies, uh, the way John has him replying. We would not have write, not I am. But that is what he says. Literally, all he says is not am. The way we would uh, have answered the question if we were in Peter's place and we wanted to make emphasis, we would have just said, no, I am not. We want to make that clear. And so there is no hesitation here in Peter's answer. He is decisive. He is clear in his denial. He doesn't ask, "Well, uh, well, what do you mean by disciple? Okay. There's no hedging, no fudging here. He could not have stated more clearly his denial than when he had protested to Jesus back in in chapter 13, when he said, I will lay down my life for you. Could not have been clearer. Let's continue here in verse 18. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And then to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Now, I want you to know what... the What Peter is asked each time, he is asked simply, are you one of Jesus' disciples? Are you a follower? Can you pick up the irony of how the passage begins? Simon Peter, what, followed Jesus there? Peter follows Jesus only so that he can deny being a follower keeps getting more and more shameful, doesn't it? Verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now, I don't know about you, but I I feel sorry for Peter. I, I just think, what a... Bad circumstance he's in. I mean, how many times must he be asked this question? How many times must he feel the threat? Because this is, this is what is frightening him. And each time the threat gets a little bit higher. I mean, first there's the servant girl and, and she represents but a small danger. But then he, he's around the fire. There are servants and there are officers who are there. They've either asked a question or they're listening in. Peter can be thinking, now: are they going to arrest him too? And now there's someone who claims to be an eyewitness at the site. I saw you there. Now, I don't know if and I don't know how Peter could have known at that time that this was a relative of Malchus. That's whose ear Peter had sliced off. But John's note of it at least gives us the idea that the questioner is not friendly, okay? He's not just being curious. So again now, John is kind. He does not speak of the curses coming out of Peter's mouth by this time. Just a denial. The third denial. And then the rooster's crow. John, by the way, does not record this, but the other Gospels do. After the rooster's crow, Peter weeps bitterly. But John is a skilled writer, and that last sentence about the rooster's crow takes us back to Jesus' remark, as undoubtedly it took Peter back to that too. When when, When Jesus had said to Peter, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter. Peter, how could you? How could you three times deny your Lord? Now, a person with training in psychology, undoubtedly, they could probe into the inner life of Peter and I'm sure they could adequately explain how Peter came to this point of denying his Lord. But my interest is in how God, how Jesus, could have ever allowed this to take place. John doesn't record it, but Luke does. He mentions the next remark made to Peter by Jesus regarding what was going to happen. It's in Luke 22. In which Jesus says, says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. I pray for you that your faith may not fail. And I look back and then I ask, what, did Jesus' prayer fail? I mean, it sure looks like to me like Peter's faith failed. Could Jesus only accomplish so much? I mean, could he just kind of do his best for a particularly challenging disciple? Or could he defend only so much against such a a powerful foe like Satan? Well, we believe in the sovereignty of God, don't we? And we believe that Jesus could obtain whatever he wanted. I mean, as he said, and as recorded in another gospel, he could have called down legions of angels to defend himself. So, again, that leaves me asking, why this disgraceful episode? Now, I learned a long time ago, never tried to explain the mind of God. But I do see lessons to learn as a result of Peter's downfall. And the first lesson has to do, kind of, lies in the person of Peter himself. And most of us were familiar with the Gospels. We know that Simon Peter, before this, had his faults. And mostly it was connected to his tongue. It landed him in trouble a number of times. He had the audacity one time to actually rebuke Jesus. There's that time on the Mount of Transfiguration, in this most glorious of moments that he's he just feels he's got to say something. He babbles about, let's set up some tents. He argues with Jesus in the upper room about washing of feet. But having said all this, one thing that could never have been said about Peter was that he was not devoted to Jesus. It was Peter who made that great confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the, uh, the Son of God. Even his protest to Jesus, even that time that he rebuked Jesus, it it sprung out of his love for his master. And he proved himself both devoted, he proved himself brave in the garden. I mean, he's the one who pulled out the sword and tried to defend his Lord. Who was more ardent in his devotion and love for Peter? Who was more bold? And yet it's Peter. He's the one who spectacularly fails the test of standing up for his Lord. And let me ask, who among us here in this sanctuary would be willing to say, well, my devotion is greater? Who who would confidently claim that we would not, well, I would not be like Peter? You know, as I, even I remember as I was writing that line, preparing the sermon, it made me just think about, you know, this seems to be true of all the great saints of Scripture. You go to that famous chapter in Hebrews, the one that goes through the list of all these great men and women who, because of their faith and and, and just holding them up. So it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. I think, Well, wait a minute, what's that... What was that part about Abraham lying twice about his wife to save his own neck? It tells us, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive. But I remember her giving Hagar, her maidservant, to to Abraham because she couldn't conceive. Or by faith, Moses. It goes through showing how the courage and faithfulness that he had, but... You know, he couldn't enter into the promised land because he would not glorify God at a critical time. And then the writer says, well, I don't have time to list Gideon, Barat, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel as examples of faith. Well, I could easily uphold each person and show an example of failure of faith. But here's what I would never do. I would never dare measure my faith. Against theirs. I certainly would never measure my courage against theirs. Now, I think what the example of Peter and all the other great, great saints teach us is that none of us can be confident in ourselves to always be true to our Lord. All of us have denied our Lord through one means or another, We may have been quiet when we ought to have spoken up. We may have failed to witness for our Lord when the opportunity was given to us. We may be guilty of living such lives that no one would even ask us. Aren't you a follower of Jesus? Now, like Moses, we could be goaded to act rashly and fail to glorify God. Like David, we can give in to lust, give in to anger. Like Peter, fear can catch us off guard. Now, regarding Peter, I think I, I will venture to explain why I thought he gave way to fear. And I think, I think it's because of what took place in that garden. It wasn't the, the show of force by Jesus' enemies. I mean, Peter stood up. I mean, he was ready to fight him. No, I think it was by Jesus himself when he turned to Peter and rebuked him for defending him. You know, Peter had never understood Jesus' comments that he had made several times about how he was going to Jerusalem, how he's going to suffer, how he's going to be killed. In fact, it was that kind of talk that Peter one time took him aside and said, look, you can't talk like that Peter believed sincerely that Jesus was the Messiah. He just as sincerely would have fought for him courageously. And he would just as courageously have attested before anyone that he was the Messiah's follower. Peter knew the script. And he gladly would have followed it. But it's when the Messiah, his master, goes off script when Jesus shows his intent to be arrested and to place himself in the hands of his enemies, I think that's when Peter becomes unnerved. Because now he has no script to follow. And at the very time that Jesus ought to have revealed his power as the Messiah and take control of his enemies, suddenly he seems determined to give himself up. What's happening? How could God let this happen? How could Jesus let this happen? Now, Peter, still, out of his love for Jesus, he follows as closely as he can. But he no longer has those inner resources to be brave. Jesus took that confidence away. And so in the midst of confusion about what he had so strongly believed, it's right then, now he's being confronted. Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And so it is for us, when God, when Jesus, does not act the way we expect, when the enemies of God seem to get the upper hand, when when our expectations that just seem that they seem to be the right expectations, biblical expectations, and they're not met. That's when the confusion, when the doubt, when the fear can enter our hearts. And that is when we question our faith. Now at this point, for a moment, I want to speak specifically. To young people, and the way that we define young people, I guess, is anyone below 40 or or something here, but on down. All of us older folks, we've gone through trials that have tested our faith. And you're going to face trials as well. But your faith is going to be challenged in ways that ours never was. You are going to be in the position of Peter, It might be in high school. It might be when you go to college. It might be when you move to a city. Maybe just some area of the country where religious faith is frowned upon. I mean, most of us here, us older folks, we've had times in which we've been around folks who um, look down on our faith. But here's the difference. We were merely laughed at, maybe. We might have been looked down upon you will be unwelcomed. Your advancement in college may be denied. You might be rejected for jobs. You might even face punishment for being faithful to Jesus and to the teachings of Jesus. That is beginning to happen now. And we pray for you now. We pray that the Lord will grant you the courage and the wisdom to faithfully follow him, And to be a witness for him. So our first lesson is to understand that Peter represents us. And the way that we can also behave, perhaps we probably have already behaved it this way one time or another. Now the the next logical lesson would be this. To discuss how to avoid such a downfall. Which I'm not going to address. I mean you already know what you ought to be doing. You should be praying now. You should be grounding yourself in the Word of God. You should be fellowshipping with other believers, you know, building a good foundation. But what I'm more interested in is what God is doing. And here's the specific question that I have. If we deny Jesus, will he then deny us? Now, when I'm preparing a sermon, I typically... I'll do a word study of words. I just go to Bible Gateway. I can type in the word and see how often it appears throughout the scriptures. And so I ran a word search of deny. And here was the unfettering result. It took me to Matthew 10, 33. Jesus speaking. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Or Luke 12, 9. The one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. For then I thought about Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He's not using the word deny, but he's making his point. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Are there more frightening words? And is this what awaits us, we who have failed, to speak up for Jesus when the time came? Well, let's go back to Peter for our answer. You know, I'd given a quote from Luke earlier where Jesus says that he's going to pray for him, and that his faith will not fail. I didn't give the whole quote. Let me read the whole quote. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. And when you have turned again, Jesus knew that Peter would fail. Otherwise, Peter doesn't have to turn again, does he? But note here that Jesus does not exhort Peter. He doesn't say, when you have failed, you know, I exhort you, I encourage you to to turn back. No, he, he simply states that you're going to turn back. He exhorts Peter when he turns back to strengthen his brothers. Repenting and turning back to Jesus is a foregone conclusion. Jesus is simply telling Peter what will happen, and he's telling him what will happen, not so much to keep Peter from failing, but to encourage Peter when he fails. Peter's failure is serious. We certainly pray that we would never make the exact same failure that he makes. But it will not be the end for Peter. Jesus' prayer, yes, will be fulfilled. And he will protect Peter from the clutches of Satan. The devil might trip Peter up, but Jesus will not let Satan have him. Peter will deny his lord momentarily out of fear but Peter will not have turned back on his lord he will not have gone on his own way that seed of the gospel that had been planted in Peter's heart that was planted in fertile ground not rocky ground not thorny thorn-infested ground he might stumble Indeed, Peter's going to stumble again. I mean, years later, he's going to have to be rebuked by his fellow apostle Paul. But he will not fall away because his Lord will not allow him to do so. And more to the point, Peter will not suffer the penalty that his sin deserves because his Lord at that very moment is steadfastly moving to the cross where he will pay for Peter's sin. I think that is the reason for this disgraceful episode. It is to teach us the power of the cross. Who loved Jesus more than Peter? Who would have more willing died for Jesus than Peter? And then what failure could have been more awful? Peter failed his Lord at the most critical time. What sin could have been more shameful Well, it's for that sin, and for many, many more, that Jesus was going to the cross. It was such sin that Jesus would bear on that cross. That's the point. If Jesus' death could cover Peter's sin, can it not cover yours? If Jesus knew Peter would commit such sin, and still he dies for Peter... Is there sin that you could have committed, that you will commit, that will be too much for Jesus to take care of for you? For Jesus' death to, to be able to remove that guilt? And do you not know that you are Peter? I mean, perhaps you can't and this is the whole point of this, is to say, this is us. Perhaps you can recall with shame your sins that matches Peter's. Or perhaps you think, well, at least I've never sinned that badly. Well, be sure that you have. We do not know half the sins we have committed, and we have no idea of the depth of our depravity. But our Savior does. He knows fully all our sins. He knows our failures. He knows our shame. Then that is what, why he came to do what he did. As he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's who I came for. He came because there was no hope for us to make amends for ourselves. There is no hope that we could, well, maybe if we work real hard, we can try to to right ourselves and and be made worthy of love. Peter was stripped of all self-righteousness. Of all claim to be counted worthy of his Lord's love. Peter learned that he could offer his Lord nothing but his sin-soaked self. And this is the gospel. That I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. That's the way John Newton put it when you understand this truth of the gospel and understand this truth about yourself, when it takes root in your heart, you know what? You don't feel vile. You feel love. You don't feel the, the weight of shame. You feel the glory of grace. Because here's the wonder of it all, that in Jesus Christ, you no longer are a great sinner. You are, as the scripture forces us to accept, you are a saint. You are a child of your heavenly father. And when he looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of his son covering you. This is the glorious gift that has been given to you, to me. It was the glorious gift given to our brother Peter. We give you thanks, our God, for this glorious gift of salvation, of being made righteous, of taking our sins and sending our Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us from those sins and the guilt. Oh, we thank you and give you praise. In His name we pray. Amen. Gather and sing 254. Alas, and did my Saviour bleed? 254.